right, well, good morning, Trace. How we feeling this morning? How's everybody doing? Good to see you. Welcome to Trace, where we don't keep our drummer in a cage. That's right. <laughs> I love it. That was awesome. Hey, I do want to welcome all of you in this room. I know some of you are here for the first time today. It's an honor that you're with us. If you're not in a hurry today, after we're done, I'll be out at Next Steps. I'd love the opportunity to meet you. Uh, also, for those of you that are joining us online right now, thanks for tuning in. You may be watching this live or you may be joining in later and listening to this conversation. We want to say welcome to you as well. Um, but for those of you that maybe came here today specifically because you were extended an invitation, I want to talk about that for a second. First, I want to say thanks for accepting that invitation, but I want to talk for just a moment before I get into my sermon about the power of invitation. Uh, this past week, I had a couple really cool conversations. The first one was with a young lady who has experienced a lot of life, if you know what I mean. A lot of adversity. Honestly, it was one of those stories that I'm, as I'm hearing it, it's just very difficult to hear that any one individual has had to endure everything that she has endured. And it was one of those stories that you would almost expect that person to end up making unwise decisions just based on their own brokenness in life. I think you know what I mean by that. And so she moved into the Springs a couple years ago and her realtor actually invited her to Trace. And it took her some time to get here, but ultimately she made her way over here and she's been learning and finding that not only is this a place with some really cool people, but it's a place of hope where even stories like hers can be redeemed. And by the way, she's getting baptized next weekend. Yeah, so you can give it up for that. A little bit later in the week, I had a conversation with a gentleman who has been living a life that he would tell you has been full of unwise decisions and some wild living, a story that I'm all too familiar with from my younger life. And we talked and he, he let me know that he was very resistant towards God for the majority of his life, even though his parents attempted to bring him up in the church. And about a year ago, he had this moment Maybe some of you could share a moment like this where there was this moment where he realized that the choices he was making was leading him to a life that he didn't want to live. And he had this kind of what we call come to Jesus moment where it's like, this is not what I want. I'm, and, and if God's out there and that all of this actually does exist for a reason, then I know he has something better for me than what I'm experiencing up till now. And we call those kind of come to Jesus moments. And what's really cool is at the same time that he's experiencing this, his coworker invites him to trace. And so he comes. And he's been experiencing transformation in a way that only he could explain to you. And by the way, he just signed up to get baptized as well. And so we can give it up for that. The reason I share all of that with you is because I wanna remind all of us of the power of invitation how God uses the instrument of our invitation sometimes to lead to the transformation that so many of you have potentially experienced even in this church. And so I just want us to be reminded that our greatest motivation here at Trace is to remove obstacles to get people to Jesus and maybe one of the most tangible obstacles that all of us have the power to remove is simply inviting somebody to come sit with us on a Sunday morning. And maybe your invitation will be the next transformational story that we get to celebrate here at Trace. And so I just wanna pray for that really quick, if that's okay, I just wanna pray for that. I'm gonna pray for us to be bold with those invitations and for God to set up what I call divine appointments so that we can extend them. Father, we don't know what you're doing behind the scenes. 
but we do know that you're working. God, we don't know the story that so many people are carrying with them, but we do know that you can redeem every single one of them. And so Father, I pray, we pray, that you would help us to be instruments of those invitations, that we would be instruments for you to use to extend invitations that hopefully and ultimately would lead to a story of transformation. And so God, would you set up those divine appointments for us, that we would extend those invitations to neighbors and coworkers and friends and the strangers we meet in Walmart or Target or wherever that could be. So God, would you go ahead of us, go ahead of us today and begin to do that now. We pray this in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen. Well, guys, today I have a very clear objective that I want to get across to you today. Today, I'm going to do everything in my power to guilt you into knowing that you need to join a small group here at Trace, okay? Everything in my power to guilt you into joining a small group here at Trace, beginning with the verse that all of us know, it's probably on your fridge, you read it to your kids at night, right? Thou who refuses to join a small group does not loveth thy God. Everybody, favorite chapter, 2 Aaron 3, 16. How am I doing so far? <laughs> what I really do want to accomplish today is I want to make as a compelling case as possible why God created you to do life with others. Specifically, if you're a follower of Jesus, and we know not everybody in here is represented by that title today, and that's fine. We're glad that there are people in here that are still kind of seeking and searching. But if you're a follower of Jesus, God designed you to do life. He, he designed you to kind of go at life with other people. And so to attempt to try to do what he has asked to do, us to do in isolation already puts you a few steps behind. And so I'm going to do my best to make a compelling case today on why it's necessary, essential. I wouldn't go, go so far as to say critical to the life of a follower of Jesus that we do this thing together. Now to do that, I feel like I need to hit the rewind button a little bit and go back to something that I shared several months ago from this stage when I got up here and I talked about how now more than ever, I feel a burden and a passion to shepherd and to pastor this church. And a, you know, this idea of shepherding is not a word we use a lot, but this idea of shepherding is to guide us. And so through the partnership of the Holy Spirit, now more than ever, I feel a burden to shepherd us through the landmines of life that seem to be growing in number for those, for those of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ. And maybe you remember me sharing this passage with you from Philippians chapter one, when Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, he says, whatever happens, no matter what happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm, that you're standing firm in the one spirit. Listen to the, the unity language here, the togetherness language here, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And that conviction of me feeling this renewed passion and this sense of burden to guide us and to shepherd us alongside of that passage kind of led me to my own personal mission statement that you've been hearing me repeat over and over again. That I wanna do everything in my power, church, to educate you, equip you, and empower you to stand firm in the gospel where you live, where you work, and where you play. And that if you would trust me to be your pastor, 
And I feel like I just need to pause there a little bit because I know that's not always easy. Depending on the church hurt story that might be following you in through those doors this morning, it might be hard to trust people who do what I do, people who stand on stages like this. And I get that. And so I don't take, I don't take it lightly that if you would trust me to be your pastor, that I want to lead you and guide you to more solid ground to stand on. Because some of us, as we're trying to navigate the landmines of this life, find ourselves losing our footing a little bit, don't we? And so if you'll trust me to be your pastor, I want to lead us to more solid ground, which has led our church, specifically the leaders of this church, to have many conversations behind the scenes. For months now, we've been talking about and praying about it. I've been challenging my team. How can we make this church even more intentional and I would say that we were already doing a good job, but I'm like, guys, how can we make our church even more intentional in developing fully devoted followers of Jesus that are ready to stand firm and weather whatever storm the enemy throws our way? And that's led us to make changes in our Trace Kids ministry. It's led me to change some of my preaching style even. It's led us to implement a new strategy on how we approach a calendar year of ministry here at Trace and if you haven't grabbed a magnet yet, I would encourage you to grab a magnet before you leave today. This is what we're doing moving forward. We're gonna separate the year in two what we call semesters. And within those two semesters, we're gonna have four faith development courses. The first one actually kicks off tomorrow. We're excited about it. Over 50 people have already signed up. If you haven't signed up for it yet, I would encourage you to sign up. Uh, Josiah and I are gonna be teaching on the reliability of the Bible. It's gonna be three weeks long, that's it. And we would encourage you to participate and come and be a part of that. Here in a couple weeks, we're actually gonna do something, and this is the first time that I've actually mentioned this. We're gonna be inviting uh, the director, uh, the nationwide director of Celebrate Recovery, he just happens to live in Woodland Park, to come down and share with us because we're looking to implement a Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Trace that we're really excited about. And so we're doing everything we can to give you more, to give you a better footing, more solid ground to stand on if we're, actually asking and encouraging you to stand firm in the gospel, where you live, where you work, and where you play. Now, the reason that I even take the time that I just did to mention all of that is because even though all of that is awesome and even though we're excited and hopefully you're excited about all of that, it still feels incomplete. And the reason it feels incomplete is because up until now, we haven't taken enough time to re-emphasize the importance of group life here at Trace. And the reason we haven't taken a lot of time to do this is because through COVID, uh, well, I would say this, before COVID, our group life here at Trace was really strong. But because of COVID, and as you can imagine, the obstacles that came with COVID, a lot of our groups that were established, I mean, hundreds of people, hundreds of Tracers were experiencing group life at Trace before COVID, but the pandemic kind of, kind of wiped out our groups, which is why we've got a new mantra here at Trace that goes like this, make group great, groups great again. We're gonna put it on a red hat, this is a brand new idea, and no, we're not doing that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> nowhere, nowhere in the New Testament do we even get a hint of a narrative that says that we're supposed to go at this alone. That all that God has asked us to do, that all he wants us to represent you know, in and through our lives, none of it 
None of it was ever done with a tone of, and you're on your own on this one. No, the opposite is what's true. That throughout the New Testament narrative, it talks about how we need to build each other up. You see that actual, that specific language several times. Build one another up. Encourage one another. Let me show you how the author of Hebrews says it in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. It kind of sounds like standing firm, doesn't it? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful And let us consider how to stir up one another. Another translation of the Bible says, how to spur one another on to love and to good works, not neglecting, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now watch, because he's gonna pivot here. He says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And so if you pay attention to what the author of Hebrews just said, he's making the argument that the body of Christ is not only more efficient when we do this thing together, but we also keep ourselves from being enticed by deliberate sin. And so Trace, if we want to hold fast, if we want to do this, this thing called life, this journey of following Jesus, if we wanna do it without wavering, the worst possible thing that we could possibly do is actually go at it alone. Which leads me to make this statement that I feel like I can make strongly and confidently, that a disconnected Christian life is likely to drift. Let me show you how Solomon actually builds my point for me in Ecclesiastes chapter four. He says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other one can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three, man, three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Let me pivot off that for a moment. Have you ever landed at a moment in life where it literally felt like life was breaking? And could we all agree that in in that moment, that if we had some other people around us, specifically other people who loved Jesus, that knew what it meant to pursue Jesus and what it meant to love one another and to spur one another on, if we had those kind of people around us during those moments of our life feeling like it was breaking, wouldn't it have made things at least a little bit, a little bit better? Have you ever found yourself at a moment in life where if you just had one person that you felt like you could have leaned on, one person that would have made themselves available for you, that would have made everything better. This leads me to talk about something and specifically a different angle when it comes to group life here at Trace. And the way that I would enter into this conversation, this part of this is like this. No matter how good our intentions are as the leadership of this church, there's no way that we could possibly 
be available for every need and concern and problem and situation that comes up. It's impossible, no matter how good our intentions are. And if we tried to approach ministry and leading this church in that way, where it's like, hey, as the leaders and as the staff of this church, we're gonna be available for every problem that surfaces, we would be setting ourselves up for failure. Which is why I believe one of the best cares ministry, like the best care strategy for any given church is to have a strong group life ministry. Because by having a strong group life ministry, when life happens, and we all know life happens, it doesn't find you isolated and alone. Let me illustrate it this way. About a month ago, maybe you saw some footage on the news about the tornadoes in Kentucky. And if you don't know this, this is where Emily and I are from originally in Kentucky. And so not this particular area, but from Kentucky, from Kentucky, that's where we grew up. And so this hit a little bit closer to home for us. And anytime a tornado of this size lands on the ground, it's going to cause damage, no doubt. But when it happens in the middle of December, when nobody's expecting it, and a lot of lives are lost, what started out as just damaging becomes devastating. All of us, church, all of us are going to face inevitable storms in this life. All of us are going to have storms that come in our direction, but it's the storms that we aren't ready for, and it's the storms that we didn't see coming that will be the most devastating. And the best thing that we can do, knowing that they're inevitable, the best thing that we can do now to kind of posture and position ourselves to be able to weather those storms in the future is to make sure that we've got other people around us that are ready to hold us when the ground underneath our feet feels a little bit more shaken. Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6, guys, if you wanna fulfill what Christ has called you to do and who Christ has called you to be, if, like, if, if you're looking to fulfill that, then carry one another's burdens. You know what it takes to carry someone else's burdens? Consistency within proximity. Consistency within proximity. This is why one of our mantras, one of our actual mantras here at Trace is that we extend hope. We extend hope when life hurts. And one of the best ways that I've personally found to extend hope is to simply be available. And none of us, listen to me, none of us can be available for everyone, including me, nor should we be, but all of us can be available for someone. I wanna say it was a couple years ago, I remember preaching a message called The Wonderfully Disruptive Pace of Jesus. I so enjoyed preaching that sermon, The Wonderfully Disruptive Pace of Jesus. And we looked at how even Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh, led his life and, and lived his life in such a way and at a pace that allowed himself to be disrupted. And so if you want to extend hope when life hurts, make sure you're available, not for everyone, but make sure you're available for someone. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came to establish this thing that he called, that he calls his church, he was, call, he was calling us to live differently. He was calling us to love differently. He was calling us to leverage our influence 
differently. And I believe Paul gives us a glimpse of this when he's writing to the church in Philippi in chapter two, he says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, right? Here's this togetherness language again. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mine. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Guys, learning a selfless approach to life, it takes work. And I would be the first to admit that I can easily drift into this position and posture of selfish ambition. I mean, just look at any two-year-old, right? And you can see that it seems like it's almost wired, selfishness is almost wired within us. This is why I just call them little pint-sized sinners, right? Because it's already there. It takes work. And I believe when we put ourselves in environments, when there's consistency within proximity of other believers, that it breeds this spirit of wanting to learn how to be selfless, to put at least someone, someone else's interest in front of our own. And I would argue that potentially one of the most Christ-like attributes that any one of us could have is actually learning to put the need of someone else in front of our own needs, kind of like Jesus did for you and me. It leads me to, a, to something that I want to talk about. Something, I'm gonna, and I'm going to pivot a little bit. It's a handful of questions rhetorically that I just want you to process through. Because some of you may be processing through right now, maybe the kind of community that you keep company with and you're thinking about, man, who do I have in my life that would be represented in the way that Pastor Aaron is talking about right now? So let me just ask you a handful of rhetorical questions. Out of all the people that you would call your closest friends, is there anyone that's a part of that community that is encouraging you to be more like what I just mentioned? Is there anyone that is encouraging you to be more selfless, to be available, to put someone else's needs in front of your own? Is there anyone in that community that is making you a better disciple of Jesus? Here's what I'm learning about a lot of Christians, not all Christians, but here's what I'm learning about a lot of Christians. When I have this kind of conversation, there's a little bit of posturing of, well, I got my people. Like, I don't need to do all that church stuff and all the group stuff and all the things that you're trying to accomplish and put together here. And, and, and I get what you're talking about, Aaron, but I don't really think that I need that because I've got my people. To which I'd say, great, you got your people. How are those people helping to prepare you for greater purpose for the glory of God? Do the friends in your life challenge your sinful nature or do they champion it? Do the friends in your life consistently celebrate your commitment to Christ? Or do they challenge it? Guys, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have friends who don't love Jesus. But you better make sure that your closest ones do. You've heard me say it before. You can't live the right life if you have the wrong friends. And someone may be thinking right now, and I, and I get it, it's a, it's, a, it's a sentiment that I've shared 
from time to time. And that sentiment is, but how do we become an example to people who don't know Jesus, to unbelievers, if we're not allowing them to be in the proximity of our lives? And I would say, it's a great question. And it's a question that actually comes with an answer that involves tension. Let me show you where that tension exists. And I'll use Galatians chapter six to pivot from. Paul says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently, right? So it's our job as followers of Jesus, if somebody's living in sin, that we're trying to lead them out of that life. But he says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Let me put it a different way. When we have friends who don't claim the name of Jesus in their life, that should come with a little bit of caution. Now, I wanna be careful here, so please like, pay attention and don't hear what I'm not saying. That if we have friends in our life that don't claim the name of Jesus, there needs, some, there needs to be some caution that comes with that. And some of you already know what I'm talking about because you've had those friends, I included have had those friends, and those friends have put you in situations and in circumstances where something was said and something was done, and because you were there, you almost felt like an accomplice to something that you didn't agree with. And maybe some of us would even take that a step further, that we were put in situations because of the company that we were keeping, that we were put in situations where we said some things and we did some things that as followers of Christ, we know weren't what we were convicted to do or, or how we were supposed to live. Let me take that a step further. Some of you right now are trying to salvage a relationship that actually needs to be severed. And I don't say that lightly. I just had a conversation with a young lady last week about this. And the reason I say I don't take that lightly is because I wanna be very careful to tell you what relationships that you need to cut off from your life, but I'm really quick to tell you that there are some relationships, maybe it's a dating relationship, maybe, maybe it's a friendship, that you know right now it's unhealthy, potentially even toxic. And what I've learned is the longer that you tried to hold on to those kind of relationships, the more that it will stunt your growth. And as a guy who's committed to your growth, specifically spiritually, I wanna set you up on solid ground. And maybe one of the best ways that I can help set you up on solid ground is to make you at least process through the company in which you keep. Now, is it possible for you to be the Christian friend that loves their non-Christian friends and they know that you're not gonna make any compromises and they appreciate that about you? Yes, I wanna say that I used to be that friend to many. And who knows where your unwavering faith, like who knows where your, your desire to stand firm in the gospel, where you live, work, and play in your unwavering faith, who knows what kind of conversations that could lead to one day. And so I'm not here to suggest that you shouldn't have people who don't believe in Jesus you know, in your life at all. I'm not suggesting that, but what I am suggesting is that you are cautious in the company that you keep. And here's a couple more rhetorical questions for you. Are you being influenced more than you're influencing? Are you holding to your convictions or are you making concessions and compromises? And guys, on a practical level, listen, on a practical level, doesn't it make sense that if Jesus is the most important thing in our life, that we would allow the people to, that are the closest to us, that we would invite people that become the closest to us, share that same sentiment? That the people that we were doing life with, 
weren't challenging our faith, but championing our faith. And that brings me back to where we started. If you're affording me the opportunity to be your pastor, that means you're giving me the opportunity to speak into your life. And by no means do you need to listen to everything that I say. I don't listen to everything I say. I can say some really stupid stuff. But I do want you to listen to what I say right now. If you want to stand firm in the gospel, where you live and where you work and where you play, and hopefully you do, make sure, make sure that you are surrounding yourself with other like-minded believers that will spur you on. Because the way of Jesus is a life with others. And a faith being developed with others is a faith that will grow. So next week, here's what we're gonna do. Next week, we're gonna have a group launch here at Trace. And it's gonna look one of two ways. If you've never gone through our 10-week rooted experience, I'm gonna encourage you, strongly encourage you that that's where you start. We believe this is the beginning point to group life here at Trace. It's gonna allow you to go through um, a 10-week experience where you learn your purpose at this church, where your purpose in life, that you're gonna become more rooted in who God has called you to be. And we wanna encourage you to go through this 10-week experience and you're gonna go through it with other people. Those of you that have been through it know this is an incredibly useful tool that we use here at Trace to launch these new groups. And so if you've never taken Rooted, that's your path. Now, for those of you, and we've had over 200 people that have already gone through Rooted, for those of you that have already gone through Rooted that are not in a group at this point, we wanna encourage you to come being prepared to step into either an existing group or we're gonna be launching some new groups from scratch. But next week, these things get kicked off. And so I want, want you to come prepared. And I wanna to speak to two, two potential sentiments that some of you might be thinking right now. Aaron, I don't have time for this. We make time for what we know is important. We make time for what we know is important. And hopefully per what I've said to you this morning, you know that doing life with other believers is incredibly important. If you wanna stand firm in the gospel where you live, work and play. The second sentiment that I would speak to is, I've already tried this before. I've already tried this before and it did not go well. And here's what I would tell you, it happens. It's happened to me. Try again. I wanna encourage you to try again. It's that important where I would tell you to try again. And if none of that helped, then let me just remind you of the verse, thou who refuses to join a small group, you were created for community. Don't weather the storms of life in isolation. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for clarity. Father, all the things that we read specifically throughout the New Testament of how we were designed to not just face the battles and the storms of this life together, but we were intended just to do life together, meaning we get to celebrate with one another, encourage one another, champion one another. And so God, I pray that as we lead into next week and we get these groups established, God, that you would already be working as I mentioned earlier, in a divine way, setting up divine appointments, putting the right people together. And God, I know that we're a busy people, probably too busy. 
And so God, I pray that you would remind us of your pace of life, the wonderfully disruptive pace of Jesus and how beautiful it was that even God in the flesh could live at a place to be available for those who needed him. God, may we be a people that are available, not for everyone, but at least someone. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.